a lot of a lot of buzz in our culture right now. Um, when I say buzz, I mean uh, come on. some excitement, some enthusiasm, some interest. We've got um, the Oscars are coming up in like, I don't know, what, three weeks or something like that. Ari and I watched one of the uh, nominated films yesterday, um, Past Lives, I think it was called. It's a beautiful movie. Anyone have any hopes for the winner of the best picture? This year? Any fan favorites? Yeah. Everyone's looking at Trisha? Uh, I like four things, but if Jack can't win, it can't probably because the flower moon. But that probably won't win either. Probably you heard it from the source right there. So we got some buzz around that. Um, a week ago was the Grammys, which was, uh, which was really fun. Trevor Noah, I thought, did a great job. But the highlight for me and Ari was watching one of our favorites, Tracy Chapman, perform her song with Luke Combs and brought us back to like college days of the CD, playing Tracy Chapman songs in our dorms. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. She's she, early concerts, watching her. I wish she'd concert again, tour again. Um, the, uh, I think Taylor Swift won her fourth Best Album Award, which is all time, first time anyone's ever done that, which is kind of exciting. And then, of course, today we've got the Super Bowl, which um, is the 58th Super Bowl. A little fun fact, Ari's dad played in the band in the first Super Bowl at the Rose Bowl, yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, I would love to hear that. Uh, this is the first Super Bowl ever in Las Vegas, so I think they're trying to up the ante on absurdity um, today by having it in Las Vegas. And just a little bit of information that might help some of you actually care about the game. First of all, Zach cares a lot, so we, we should care for, for things Zach cares about. Um, the consensus best player in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, is gonna be the quarterback of one team. The other team has uh, Brock Purdy, who was the last pick in the draft two years ago, is also very, oh, he's, he's also a very, a very outspoken person of faith, which is interesting. Um, so those two quarterbacks are kind of leading the leading things. There's lots of ways to be involved in this game with your money, if you would like to do that. Um, you can bet on who wins the coin toss. You can bet on the length of the national anthem. You, you can bet on the color of the Gatorade that is poured on the winning coach um, at the end of the game, if you'd like to do that. So lots of fun ways to uh, get involved, but all of those pair, pale in comparison to the t-shirt that someone at our gym was wearing yesterday, that she is rooting for Taylor's boyfriend uh, today. Um, so you can bet on whether or not Taylor shows up today flies in from Tokyo to be there. Um, you can, she's there, Kara knows. Um, Kara, Kara got a text earlier. Um, you, you can bet on whether or not they have a kiss after the game is over, which I guess is a bet for the Chiefs to win. Um, so 68 million Americans will wager on this game in some way today, 68 million is what they anticipate in all sorts of creative ways, Jen. Um, 
for a grand total of $23 billion. 99% of those people will have a really great time. They'll be sad, some of them, and, and, and 1% will um, potentially be on the road to some, some devastating um, addictions. And, um, <laughs> it's kind of a sobering reality, too. That means about two of us, to put it in perspective, like in our church body, about two of us. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun day, and it's a, a day full of buzz and excitement, and all of our buzz and excitement has some kind of underbellies to it. Um, it's also a time where we have a lot of cultural noise right now. Um, and so cultural noise, I, I think of like expectations or values um, that are out there and, and, and roaming in our, in our consciousness through social media, through the news, through the internet, through whatever, our conversations with one another, that can be in conflict and that can try to, kind of draw, try to draw us in. Um, and so we have cultural noise right now, societal noise like elections and politics. We have wars and rumors of wars um, and uh, different feelings and opinions about the kind of the importance or significance of those, um, all of which land in devastating ways in people's lives around the world. We've got um, the always external noise of like social media and the ongoing traps of that and um, this, this, this keeping up with the Joneses that so many of us fall into, anywhere from what our houses look like to our job, what our jobs are to our paychecks to how we raise our kids and like all the different things can, that can bring us um, feelings, emotions, um, anxieties, um, financial insecurity for, for today, for, for the future. All of this is noise that, that we hear, and it, and it leads to internal noise, um, fear, uh, fear of a very present danger, whatever that might be in our lives. Um, anxiety, which is an emotion that feels a lot like fear but it's a response to a threat that hasn't even come yet to us or, or might never come. But we have these feelings and emotions that are similar to fear. Um, and when we're in this place and we feel these things, then we end up contributing to the noise too, right? We contribute by ways we respond or things we talk about. Um, and all this noise, um, it affects our, our nervous systems. It affects who we are. Um, we get into these fight and flight and freeze kind of places in our decision making, in our choices, in our relationships. Um, I think our story today, our scripture story, which is transfiguration story, like Daniel mentioned, um, it has some characters that are facing their own buzz and their own noise. Um, and they have an interaction. With, with Jesus. And so I, I just wonder if there's a way we might um, kind of engage with that story as well. Um, this is an icon, ancient icon of the story I'm going to read right now. Um, but hear, hear the word of the Lord. This is from Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus continued, I assure you, excuse me, verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. And he was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. 
Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had been risen from the dead. And so they kept it to themselves, wondering, what's this rising from the dead? This is the word of the Lord. So um, the location of the story is important. Uh, they're, they're on a mountain, a very high mountain, and they're alone. Uh, this is a picture of our beautiful mountains. Mountains, as we've talked about a lot of times, um, when we read about those in the scriptures, we're, we're reading of generally about what, what Celtic spirituality calls a thin place. A place where heaven gets so close to earth that the, the space between just seems shrunk or, or even non-existent. Or, or moments in our life where God's goodness or presence seems so kind of um, at hand that we can hardly tell the difference between um, God's vision and, 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 and dreams for the world and, and our own reality. So it's a, th a thin place. We, we read about this often throughout the scriptures. Um, they're, they're also alone. They're alone with Jesus. They're alone with a couple of other followers. And these followers, um, their backstories just briefly are interesting. One is Peter. We all know Peter. Peter is kind of one of the leaders of the disciples, the apostles. Uh, in the chapter right before this, Jesus is asking the disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And you know the story there, rattling off, oh, some say Elijah, some say the prophet, some say, you know. And, well, who do you say that I am? Jesus says to them. And they say, well, you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes into describing kind of an affirmation of that by saying that he, because of his faithfulness to God as Messiah will, will suffer because of it. Um, Peter wants nothing to do with that. He's got cultural noise that tells him uh, different ideas of what a Messiah is to be. And finally, in his kind of, kind of rebuke of Jesus, Je Jesus says to him, get behind me, tempter. Um, I think it's a real moment for Jesus of temptation. Um, and that happens right before this story. So Peter is one who, who's got cultural messages and noise that is shaping um, his expectations of, of not only Jesus as Messiah, but therefore his own life, his own choices, his own sense of self connected with Jesus. Uh, the other two disciples, James and John here, next chapter, are going to ask Jesus, hey, when you're the Messiah... I want your right seat, and he wants your left seat, the right next to you. Um, so they, too, have this, like, imagination that's shaped by cultural messages and noise um, that is just, that is off kilter from what um, Jesus is inviting them, them into. Um, they have very specific ideas about Jesus, what he's going to do for them, 
who they're going to be. And Jesus is trying over and over to, to, to invite them into something else. The story goes on, and it says he was transformed, Jesus that is, in front of them. And his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with them. This is a moment um, confirming Peter's uh, proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah and a moment confirming Jesus' vision of a, of a Messiah that would love so broadly, that would um, heal, that would connect with those that the religious and political leaders of the time wouldn't, in such a way that his, his Messiahship would lead to suffering. But it is Jesus uh, being affirmed by the scriptures as, 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 as indeed the Messiah of God. The, the other lectionary passage for today is from 2 Corinthians that speaks to this. As God said that light should shine out of the darkness. He is the same one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. In the face of Jesus Christ. There's something about who Jesus is that gives us the face of God's glory. And this, this transfiguration story um, really holds that. Well, Peter reacts to this. This is, this is I think, a, a kind of funny um, portion of this story. Peter, you know, he, he immediately takes charge. He wants to kind of control things. Hey, um, Rabbi, Jesus, it's good we're here. As if Jesus needed to hear that, right? Um, that's funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to you. It's funny to me. And he says, let me make three shrines. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Let me take control of this situation. Jesus is getting a little chaotic. It's a little crazy. I understand still what, what is supposed to be taking place here. Let's create some shrines. And on one hand, I can be sympathetic to him. Like this is the way his tradition has honored God, they've created spaces for God, whether a tabernacle or a temple. Like, I can get that, but, but it's so off from what he had just learned from Jesus the chapter before that the author of Mark even makes this kind of snarky comment. He said this because he didn't know how to respond. <laughs> and he didn't know how to respond because he was terrified. The cultural noise, the conflicting visions, um, were leading him to some insecurities. Um, and this is how he was playing that out. Sometimes in groups, Laura Eagermedwitz was working with the IRC staff this week in a strategic plan, and one of the things we talked about as a kind of baseline for our work was like, sometimes we need to take space in groups, and sometimes we need to make space for others in groups. And she was encouraging us to kind of move back and forth. Peter is a take space kind of guy. And, and, and maybe like making space could be a little, a little bit uh, of a growth area for him. <laughs> but he's got this internal noise. We know what that's about. And this is how he acted out, how he contributed to the noise. Um, I wonder what, what that looks like for us. What, what noise is getting into our nervous system, is getting into our visions of life and reality that plays into our imagination of what God's doing, that plays into our relationships, 
our hopes for the future. The story then says a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. A cloud um, always, um, or often, especially in the mountaintops, demonstrates God's presence. The, the people of God were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So this is a story about God's presence being close in the face of Jesus. Um, the, the voice is the same voice that, that speaks about Jesus at his baptism that says, this is my child whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, right? And, and here in this story, the voice says, this is my child whom I love, offers an invitation. Listen. Listen to him. And then it was, it was only them and Jesus. Henry Nouwen, in his writing, Henry Nouwen's a Catholic priest who has done a lot of great writing. Many of you have read his stuff. In his writing, he talks about our, our tendency to um, imagine God in ways that are, that are, I guess, less than helpful. That we can imagine God in this, like, kind of authoritarian, kind of distant, kind of, um, kind of uh, forceful presence, and that there's that kind of a pendulum swing from that, right, of like, I, I, can't, I can't believe that kind of God, so we can think of God as this, like, um, he, he describes it as, uh, I'm going to get this right here, an empty or powerless nothing. Um, but he goes on to say that Jesus' core message with it was that God is neither of these things, but that God in the face of Christ is one who loves the world, who came to the world, whose faithfulness led to suffering and whose suffering leads each of us into new life, into newness of life, uh, as his suffering holds those things that would keep us from let me say that again. God is one who comes to be among us, whose love leads to suffering, whose suffering leads us to new life as we lay down those things with him that keep us from new life, life abundant. And now one goes on to say that to pray is to listen to God's voice of love. The word obedience comes from the Latin word ab adar, something like that, <laughs> which means to listen towards. To obey, to listen towards. Think about, think about when, a, when a child um, obeys, especially when it's obedience to someone who has offered them a voice of love, who's, who's invited them into something and explained what they're inviting them into, and the child res responds by listening towards that invitation. Um, to obey is to listen towards, Nouwen says. Um, 
He goes on to say that the, um, the word in, in Latin for deaf is this word of surdus. And so he says to be completely deaf or to unaware of the voice of God is to live lives that are absurd. When we no longer pray, no longer listen to the voice of love that speaks to us in the moment, our lives become absurd lives in which we are thrown back and forth between the past and the future. The pains, the memories, the things that have happened to us in the past, the anxieties about the future. Um, and I think now, and I think this passage... Um, is inviting us to um, consider what would it look like to listen towards the voice of God. Amongst all the cultural buzz and cultural noise and, and realities of our lives. About 30 years ago, I can't believe I've seen that number, I was a junior in high school and I... Uh, I was invited, I think I may have told this story at some point, but I was invited to join a Catholic youth group. There was like four or five of us from our youth group that joined a Catholic youth group from Los Angeles, and we went on a trip to Denver, Colorado, to something called World Youth Day. It was like the Catholic World Youth Day. Um, it was in Denver. It was the first World Youth Day held in North America or an English-speaking country, for that matter. So it was a really big deal for Catholic brothers and sisters. I had no clue um, how big of a deal it was. And when we got there, there was activities, there was youth everywhere. I mean, you want to talk about buzz and energy? It was wild. There were 700,000 people gathered, youth primarily, in Denver, Colorado, Cherry State Park, um, to camp and have activities and eat food and get to know new friends and listen to, to messages. And at the end of this time, the Pope, John Paul at the time, came and gave like a homily. And we were like tired and dehydrated. And literally people are like dehydrated. They're like running water to them. It was, it was beautiful and wild and all the things. Um, and at one point, we're walking out of one of the gatherings and there's a news crew there. And they say, they say hey, you guys over there, come over here. And so we're like, all right. And they point at me, hey, you, what, what do you think of this whole thing? And so I'm like speaking into this news channel of which gets pumped all over Eyewitness News back at home. And my parents are getting calls from their friends. Oh, there's your Protestant son speaking on behalf of all Catholics <laughs> around, around the world. Um, I, I blame the news crew. Um, uh, last August was, was another... Um, was another World Youth Day, and it was in Lisbon, Portugal. 1.5 million people were there. Um, they described it as a Catholic Woodstock. I'm not sure what that um, means. So, so this rivals Taylor Swift fans um, a little bit. Um, and the final mass, uh, Pope Francis spoke, and it was the day that they, that tradition honors the transfiguration. Um, and 30 cardinals were there, 700 bishops, 10,000 priests. I mean, you can imagine. And the cardinal of Lisbon thanked the pope for coming and for offering an opportunity for young people to come together and build a better tomorrow after a pandemic that has confined them 
and otherwise distance them from each other and from the best versions of themselves. Um, and the Pope said in this very brief message, as, as Catholics are great at, um, shine, he said to the youth, shine. Um, respond to the world with the light of the resurrection of Jesus. For it's the light that never sets, the light that shines even in the dead of night. Um, shine, not by spotlight, but by welcoming Jesus into our hearts. He then said, listen, the 1.5 million youth, listen to Jesus. He will show you paths of love. And then he said, be unafraid. And the stories is that the youth began to chant, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Pope Francis says, listen to Jesus and follow him. That's the message of the transfiguration. We're moving into season of Lent, as was noted. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's a really great season of the church year to, to kind of dust off some old practices um, or try some new ones on. Um, and in the cultural noise and buzz of our time, I wonder if, if, if postures of listening to Jesus, um, obedience in absurd times, um, could be something we could do as a church. And we've got a few things um, uh, planned for that. As I was thinking about steps for listening, though, and looking at this story and just my own experience, a couple, a couple thoughts, and there's all, all sorts of ways to think about this. Trust that God is still speaking. Um, if you think about dusting off a practice of prayer or listening, begin by remembering some stories where God has spoke to you, to, to conjure up some, no, God is still speaking. Um, another step might be to find a time and a place in hopes of a thin place, right? If that's your couch or top of a mountain or walking around your neighborhood, um, wherever it might be, um, find a time and a place during Lent where you're going to just open yourself up to listen to God. Found this. I'll come back to that in just a second. The word listen contains the same letters as the word silent. Alfred Brendel, who's an Austrian poet, wrote. Um, find a time and a place. Um, sometimes what's helpful is when you're in that time and a place to say, like Peter, or excuse me, like Jesus to Peter, get behind me noise. Don't, don't just go into a place and like try to center in, but you might have to, before you do that, to listen to God, you might have to consciously say, like, noise, get behind me right now. I don't want to hear you right now. And of course, it's impossible to do that completely, but saying that can be helpful to find, find that space. Listen for a voice of love. This is my son whom I love. Listen for a voice of truth. Elijah, 
showed up. He's the prophet, the truth teller. Listen for a voice of liberation. Moses is there. The, the one who God used to liberate God's people. When we listen to God in these spaces, what is, is this a voice of love for me, for others, for my loved ones? Is this a voice of truth? Knowing that sometimes experiences, perceptions of things can hold even what seems like contradictory views of truth. Um, but where is the truth in this? Um, listen for a voice that brings liberation to you, to people in this world, to people in your lives. Um, if it's not a voice of love or truth or liberation, let's keep listening voice that is. And then finally, this Lenten season, I wonder what it'd be like to risk obedience as we listen to this voice, to listen towards whatever it is that God might be calling us to in very small, maybe significant, maybe risky ways. It seems that that's what this, this story is holding for Peter and James and John um, and, and could be holding for us in our time of, of noise and buzz. So that's going to be our, our theme for this, this Lenten season. We're going to listen towards Jesus together as we continue to trust God together. Um, we, we'd like to cultivate times of wholehearted worship in here. As we do this. So um, a couple things. Um, in the back, there's some prayer beads. If, if having a physical like tool is helpful for you, um, feel free to make a prayer bead in the back or to take the stuff with you. We'll also have this out on Ash Wednesday and next Sunday. But that's a practice that you might um, try considering. And, and maybe the beads could be the steps that we just went through or, or, or something else. We're also going to have times of offerings in church. So if there's a, a poem or a prayer, um, a song that you'd like to sing. How amazing was it when the bo women sang the other on, on Christmas Eve? If there's a song you'd like to share with your church about that, that reminds you of, of God or listening towards God, we would love to make space for that. Today's prayer was from Anita uh, Hank, who couldn't be here today because she's not feeling well. But that, that was an offering from her um, of a prayer that's been important for her as she, in terms of listening towards Jesus. So if you've got something that you'd like to share with your body, risk vulnerability. And let's do that. Um, a story, a song, a prayer, a poem, what, whatever it might be. Um, and then we've got a couple other practices that we're going to be implementing throughout the, throughout the season. In our, in our worship forum meeting, and I'll close with this, and musicians, maybe you can start to come up. In our worship forum meeting last Sunday, uh, we broke into groups to do some planning, and the music group came back, and they gave us like four things that they had, they had talked about. And one of them was just really striking, um, and it was from Oswaldo, our brother, um, who's walking up right here. Yeah. 
and and one of the one of the invitations for the whole group is for the for the, for the season of Lent. He said, "Let your soul come out. Let your soul come out. Um, wholehearted worship, um, offering to God here in this place, but but in our in our own spaces too." What does it mean to listen towards God with our soul out, with our whole hearts, um, and to create some spaces in our, in our week, uh, in our days, uh, this Lenten season, to listen to Jesus, um, God's voice of love and liberation and truth to us and to each of us. Let's sing together as the kids come back in, and then we'll, Justin's going to come and lead us in Eucharist.